0: Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about BetOnline.ag. It's a massive week in sports. Houston and Philadelphia are at it in the World Series. Tennessee plays Georgia in the College Football Game of the Year. NFL games basketball hockey all of it is going on and bet online has you covered with all the props odds promos and parlays for this week use the link in this episode to get a 50 percent welcome bonus on your first deposit when you use the promo code believe b-l-e-a-v, B-L-E-A-V. bet online where the game starts of the Take It Easy podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network. Except it isn't live because it is, as always, a podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome everybody. It is November 2nd according to my count. It may not be that according to your count, but we appreciate you stopping in however and whenever it is that you may be listening. Today's just one of those days where after, you know, not a whole lot of major, major sports news breaks within a span of a week, shall we say, this is just one of those days where all the breaking news happened within like 10 minutes of each other. Within 10 minutes, I learned about the TJ Hawkinson trade, the Bradley Chubb trade, the Chase Claypool trade, learned about the situation with the Brooklyn Nets and Steve Nash, Learned about Willie Jackson going to the Steelers. Right after that, learned about Calvin Ridley's trade. So like, this was just one of those days where all the news just breaks all at once. So we're going to talk about all of that coming up on today's show. It's one of those rare days where the topics of the day are the topics to break down in full. So we're going to start off by talking about the Brooklyn Nets, and then we're going to get to some of the NFL trades. Specifically, I want to talk about the Laramie Tunsell trade and its conclusion coming up at the end of the show. The first place I want to start is talking about the Brooklyn Nets, and there's a lot here to unpack with the Brooklyn Nets. The reason that today is the day to talk about the Brooklyn Nets is because of what's happening with their head coaching situation. That's the news that broke on Tuesday. For those who have not heard, Steve Nash, no longer the head coach of the Brooklyn Nets, Ime Udoka about to become the new head coach of the Brooklyn Nets. That's the story that breaks on Tuesday. That's the story that makes it so that this cannot be ignored any longer. And ignored is not the best way to put it. Just, it's not a serious conversation. But when you have a major coaching change like that, sports-wise, there's a lot to unpack there. And when it's Ime Udoka, there's a lot to unpack there. So that's a story that really needs focus. And before we get to that, we're going to put that story away to the side. We're going to put Steve Nash and Udoka away because the first place to start is talking about Kyrie Irving. And when it comes... For those who are new to the show, I've explained this before that... Um, back in 2018, the first back when we had a, an Instagram page called Comical Sports Memes, which still exists now, a new version of it you can follow on Instagram with the link in the description of this episode. We got into beef with Antonio Brown. We got blocked on Instagram, got blocked on three different Instagram accounts, blocked on a Twitter account by Antonio Brown. Like we went all in on Antonio Brown back then, and now that we have the information we have about Antonio Brown, whether it be everything that happened with the Raiders. And this was a learning experience for me. Everything that happened with the Raiders for Antonio Brown was incredibly informative because I took that as like, hey, I'm starting this podcast. Let's just laugh at this dude who freezes his feet off and fights with a head coach and swings his helmet and gets cut by the Raiders and then signed by Tampa. And Tampa ends up going, oh, sorry, signed by New England. And ha ha ha, look at all this. And then, oh, wait a minute. Antonio Brown also sexually assaulted someone and exposed himself to another woman and beat up a truck driver and had charges pressed against him. Now this isn't as funny anymore as him calling Mike Mayock a cracker, pointing out that John Gruden was a racist before everyone knew John Gruden was a racist, freezing his, like, all that stuff was funny to me and then it wasn't funny anymore. And then Antonio Brown has become what Antonio Brown has become now. And so my point on that is, Do not give that story breath. Do not give them attention. Do not give them life. Let that story die off. Acknowledge it when it's necessary. Let it go. Not worth the time, not worth the energy, and definitely not worth keeping in the media news cycle. The reason Antonio Brown and now by and large Kanye West are still talked about is because it drives conversation points. Sometimes it's conversation about nothing, but the fact that it's people will follow this story with intent sometimes becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy of the story gets life because people want to hear more about these crazy people doing crazy things. And Kyrie Irving has fallen into this group as he checkmated the Brooklyn Nets last year on his vaccination status. Kyrie Irving has overwhelmingly been an unserious person who does stuff that he will deem to be free-thinking and intellectual, and other people will deem to be crazy, and everyone draws their moral and ethical lines in different places. And now we've reached the point with Kyrie Irving where this is no longer a quote-unquote laughing matter, or at the very least, you can laugh off some of the other stuff Kyrie Irving has done, or you can mock him or do whatever else But what I pretty much do is ignore Kyrie Irving in those situations other than talking about like, hey, he was willing to sit out over his vaccination status and he checkmated the Brooklyn organization. How incredibly interesting is that, that he has the power to checkmate the Brooklyn organization? And now this whole offseason has revealed that Kyrie Irving doesn't have the power over Brooklyn anymore because they are done with that situation and that relationship and What this leads to today is, or I guess what it's led to over the last week is Kyrie Irving becoming the the face, along with Kanye West and Antonio Brown, of a rise in anti-Semitic language and anti-Semitic behavior across the United States in the most transparent way. Not even like the the like, hey, we're going to within the structure, uh, sorry, the structural racism or the structural anti-Semitism, even beyond that, just the straight-up anti-Semitism of like 1940s and 1950s anti-Semitism and the the anti-Semitic tropes that have come out uh, from Antonio Brown and Kanye West and further now Kyrie Irving, or at least endorsing such language. And I don't want to talk about this because I don't want to give this story life. Lots of people are talking about this far more eloquently than I can. I have not, until today, taken the time to dissect a nuanced opinion and a nuanced conversation and have not taken the time to look for information around this Kyrie Irving story because this Kyrie Irving story is not something that I feel like I should dissect and I should spend the time on because there are far more eloquent and articulate people. And I'm a person who says unserious people should not be taken seriously. At this point, if we're going to talk about the Brooklyn Nets, I also recognize I'm going to have to sit down and I'm going to have to start finding nuanced information to present about this Kyrie Irving situation. And so I have not done it myself. I, I did not go and read The tweets and the uh, book, based on what Kyrie Irving was articulating, uh, which is known as uh, Hebrews to blank. I'm not going to say the the old timey slur for black people, but Hebrews to blank. And I went to Pablo Torre. He works for ESPN. He watched the movie. He did the research, and I'm going to take secondhand accounts because this is how we learned about the Kyrie Irving situation in the first place. Kyrie Irving, uh, re- or I guess, promotes this book on his or this book and movie on his Twitter account, and then Rolling Stone ends up clicking on the link and watching the movie and going deeper into this and looking at like, hey, there are some pretty clear anti-Semitic tropes in this situation. And like I, I said from the beginning, if Credible journalists are saying across the board this is anti Semitic, and Jewish people across the board are saying this is anti Semitic. And the only people I see on the other side of the argument is Jason Whitlock. Probably anti Semitic. So then I went further now that we're doing this story and I looked at what Pablo Torre did in his research. Again, he's a a reporter for ESPN, and he found a fake quote from Adolf Hitler that was not actually from Hitler in the story if you want to follow his twitter i've linked the um, tweet here i'm not going to repeat it but i have linked the tweet the twitter thread from Pablo Torre into this story and you go further and, and he looks into the movie and in the movie you find or i'm sorry he go further and look into the book which by the way the book and movie have the exact same title The author talks about the five major falsehoods that the Jews have established, the third of which that he lists on here is that six million Jews were killed in the Holocaust during World War II. And it's it's a, again, a falsehood established by the Jewish controlled media in America, which is blatant anti-Semitism, like the most blatant anti-Semitism that you can find in this case. The same shit that Kanye West is peddling around for attention and whatever the reasons may be that I'm not going to dive into because that story is not worth my time. There are more articulate people such as Vincent Goodwill of Yahoo Sports talking about this with the Kyrie Irving context and Bomani Jones on ESPN. He does a podcast called The Right Time. I'd recommend listening to those people if you want more detailed, nuanced information around the Kanye West, Antonio Brown, and Kyrie Irving sides of this conversation. Again, it's not for me, not the person who can give in-depth analysis on that. That's a better place to go. So what I can point to is that Twitter thread from Pablo Torre, Vincent Goodwill, Bomani Jones. You can see better context around this situation. And so with that you follow up on monday i'm sorry not monday on a su- uh, saturday night where a day after the tweet comes out kyrie irving ends up doubling down in that twitter clip or i'm sorry that press conference clip with nick friedell that has gone kind of viral now and the doubling down has not dissipated in the time since then and after monday's game again we're recording this tuesday night so on monday's game the Brooklyn Nets just didn't make Kyrie Irving available to the media. They just didn't make him available for questioning after the game because Saturday was already an absolute clusterfuck for the Brooklyn Nets. Just absolute clusterfuck. Because not only do you have, hey, Rolling Stone has just released this story that's like, hey, if you watch the the movie that Kyrie Irving has put out and read the book based on the movie of the same title, Hebrews 2 blank, you will see that this is very clearly old-timey anti-Semitic tropes that apparently are not old-timey now because this has been the conversation in America for the last two weeks is like, hey, Kanye West is peddling blatant anti-Semitism and you're seeing anti-Semitic, not necessarily protests, but anti-Semitic rallies and anti-Semitic hate crimes being committed as a result of... Kanye West's outspokenness and empowering people based on what Kanye West, Antonio Brown, and Kyrie Irving have been peddling in terms of conspiracy theories and anti-Semitic tropes over the past two weeks. And because Kyrie Irving has doubled down on this situation, and because the Brooklyn Nets are not making him available to the media for the time being— This is a situation where Kyrie Irving's NBA career is over if he does not back down on this. And that's why I believe it is highly, highly probable that Kyrie Irving will back down on this case. That Kyrie Irving is going to back down. He's going to apologize. He's going to denounce the support of Kanye West that Kanye put out on his Instagram where he's posting Kyrie Irving and saying there's still real ones out here. Kyrie Irving is going to apologize and Kyrie Irving is going to back down on this more likely than not. I say probably and more likely than not because the alternative is Kyrie Irving is willing to end his NBA career on this hill. And we know that he was kind of sort of willing to end his NBA career on the vaccine thing, although... Vaccinate. he could checkmate the brooklyn nets with his power he used up that power over the past year because brooklyn was ready to let him go and he opted in because rare is the player empowerment situation where he wants to stay with the team and the team doesn't really want to keep him around but they kept him around because they had no other choice and Kevin Durant wanted Kyrie Irving around and Kevin Durant wasn't going to get traded so Brooklyn's just kind of rolling out with the same team that they had before. And so because all of this is going in, all of this has become an absolute clusterfuck, just an absolute clusterfuck for the Brooklyn Nets. Beyond even the vaccinations thing because the vaccination status last year was weird and crazy. Ultimately when we had that COVID spike at the very very first week of 2021, Kyrie Irving checkmated the Nets. The Nets let him come back. Remember that? When Kyrie Irving was able to play, but Brooklyn just said nope, and he was going to only play home games or road games or whatever it was? Kyrie Irving checkmated the Brooklyn Nets, and ultimately, because of easy and available access to vaccines lowering the COVID rates, ultimately, Kyrie Irving was able to play basketball again because the state of the COVID pandemic changed. And around April, they ended up allowing unvaccinated people back into buildings in New York. And Kyrie Irving ended up waiting it out, sacrificing millions of dollars and checkmating the Brooklyn Nets into bringing him back despite the fact he was unvaccinated. And this is a situation that like maybe the vaccination status thing could have ended his career, but that was a situation where it was a state by state basis when it came to different state-level vaccination issues. If Kyrie Irving had played in any state other than California and New York, he would have been able to play unvaccinated. Jalen Brown's playing basketball unvaccinated right now, went to the NBA Finals last year playing unvaccinated. Like, every team had, or not every team, you know, there was a, a subset of people who were still unvaccinated and still remain unvaccinated. And so, you know, Kyrie Irving was willing to sacrifice millions of dollars and ultimately checkmated the Brooklyn Nets because he had enough power to do so both from his ability as a basketball player and the power that he grabbed by his association to Kevin Durant. And this is a situation where Kyrie Irving, because of the blatant anti-Semitism, and if you go further into the story, I I was listening to Vinnie Goodwill and Amin el Hassan talk about this, like, there's some anti-Islamophobia stuff. There's, like, Islamophobic stuff in here. There is some anti-Africa stuff in here. Like, this... This is something that Kyrie Irving saw and saw the Hebrews to old timey slur for black people like he saw that and ended up reposting it and has doubled down on it. And again, it's why I'm saying Kyrie Irving is going to back down on this. Kyrie Irving is going to apologize and Kyrie Irving is going to denounce some of the anti-Semitic language more likely than not. I'm not going to say it's a guarantee. More likely than not. Because the alternative is this is the end of his NBA career. And it might not happen tomorrow. It might not happen in two weeks. As soon as that contract ends with Brooklyn, he's either getting a contract that he is willing to like play for less and go to a place that he doesn't necessarily want to play... And even if he does that, it's only delaying the inevitable that this is the end of Kyrie Irving's NBA career if he's not going to back down on this situation. Remember what happened with Myers Leonard where he says the, the, the slur for Jewish people on a Twitch stream And that was the, he never played another NBA game. Now that's, this is the the messed up part about the semantics of this is that Myers Leonard is Myers Leonard and Kyrie Irving is one of the 20 best basketball players in the world. Myers Leonard's career ends that day. Kyrie Irving's career ends six months from now, 12 months from now. That's it. If he does not back down on this situation, all that Kyrie Irving's abilities as a basketball player, relationships with Kevin Durant, all of the the power that Kyrie Irving has is going to buy him a few months, is going to buy him of like 6 to 12 months, if that, of his NBA career if he's not backing down on this situation because if he's not backing down on this, nobody is bringing him in nobody is bringing him in to play for their team and that is where Kyrie Irving's NBA career is going to end maybe it happens in a couple days I think the more likely scenario is that they just play it out with an incredibly awful situation maybe he gets waived maybe he doesn't It's a situation, like I've been saying, like, Kyrie Irving, Antonio Brown, and Kanye West are unserious people and do not deserve the platform or the conversation points that we have about them. It's when they do dangerous shit that they have to be brought up within the discourse, combined with the fact people want to hear what they have to say just because they're famous people who do stupid shit. And so in the case of Kyrie Irving, this is... If he's going to stand on this, he buys himself 6-12 to months. He's already done damage. His power and his skill as a basketball player will give him the quote-unquote benefit of the doubt if he apologizes and if he backs down and if he denounces Kanye West and anti-Semitism. If he just does the bare minimum, his basketball skill will buy him the benefit of the doubt, and that's the fucked up part about this situation. If he doesn't, which seems incredibly irrational and highly improbable from my vantage point, what you're looking at is this is the end of his NBA career. Might be six months, might be 12 months, it is the end of his NBA career. And again, I want to be very specific about the difference between what we're talking about here, which is Again, you can see the link to Pablo Torre's tweet, listen to Bomani Jones, listen to Vinnie Goodwill, just listen to people talk about this who are far more articulate than I. When we're talking about blatant anti-Semitism, Holocaust denying, Islamophobia, and anti-African language and rhetoric in this documentary and the book that's based on the same title, when we're talking about that, that's a situation where you are putting your career in jeopardy because of the blatant anti-Semitism, Holocaust-denying Islamophobia, and anti-African rhetoric that comes up in this case. And again, your skill and the power will buy him 6 to 12 months for that contract to run out, and then that's it. And even if he gets another one-time job, it's a short leash to the very end, because that's going to be the straw that breaks the camel's back when it comes to the end of Kyrie Irving's career. You can, even vaccination status was not enough to bring that down because even though Kyrie Irving was willing to stand on that principle, I think everyone stood on their principles hard when it came to vaccination status because it was a really scary situation. Lots of people dying, science denying, like. Vaccination status, incredibly scary situation. Brooklyn Nets decided we're not going to play him at all without his vaccination status being changed. And Brooklyn bailed on that. Brooklyn stood on that principle for two and a half months and ended up folding and giving Ky- and Kyrie Irving checkmated them. And from that point, Kyrie Irving had the power over the organization and everything that has happened since... I mean, it even was then, but it was just a small measure of consequence. Like, everything that's happened since is a byproduct of Kyrie Irving checkmating the Brooklyn Nets on that situation and him and Kevin Durant staying together. It's been such a clusterfuck over the last 10 days that you're looking at a situation, and blatant anti-Semitism is the thing that is going to break the camel's back on this one, especially given all the bullshit that we have to deal with with Kanye West and Antonio Brown and pretend like that's a story that should be driving the narrative. But the problem is, People keep talking about it and anti Semitic, uh, sorry, anti Jewish and anti like anti Jewish, anti black rhetoric in blatant like hate crimes coming out in the aftermath of that, whether it be the situation at the Florida Georgia game or, or the People who put out shit over the highway in Los Angeles or the actual uptick in hate crimes that I imagine are going to start to come out in data over the next few weeks. Proud Boys showing up on college campuses, whether it be down the street from where I live or Penn State or Michigan, whether it be situations like the uptick in hate crimes that you're going to see as a result of this this discourse over the past few weeks and empowering people to commit hate crimes and take action against either Jewish people, black people, women, migrants, like you're going to see an uptick as the national discourse continues around this. I'm sure it's there. We just don't have the data to back it up. And so I don't want to be like irresponsible on that. It's just, this is what (laughs) hundreds of years of data suggest that when you have conversations as such like this, you will see an uptick in, 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 antagonistic hate crimes like we have data that suggests this is the case across an array of issues and when that becomes the conversation that's going to end up ending Kyrie Irving's career if he's going to be on the wrong side of history for that one and again he could do the bare minimum he could be disingenuous as long as he doesn't just keep doubling down on this situation or refuse to apologize he's going to get every benefit of the doubt on this one because He's a famous, skilled basketball player, and otherwise it seems irrational because it's going to end his NBA career. And I say all this just to say he's going to back down, he's going to apologize, he's going to denounce Kanye West, more likely than not. More likely than not. So we talk about all of that to then move into Steve Nash and Ime Udoka. Because I don't know the details behind what went into that decision. Whether this is Steve Nash deciding I'm not going to be a part of everything that's happening here with Kyrie Irving or Kevin Durant specifically. I don't know what the reasons are behind that yet. And I wish I had more information to talk about that. When I hear that Ime Udoka is in the works of becoming Brooklyn's next coach, this feels like something that had been in the works for a good while. And we talked about this yesterday with Morgan from Australia. We need information on this Ime Udoka situation. We need information real bad as a, as a public We need journalists to come through with the information, not necessarily rush it out there and like have it be less credible. We just need some information about what went into that Udoka situation because you're hearing a lot of conversations within NBA circles about whether it's a situation where he never coaches again. Boston is just letting him walk as coach which signifies that they just they're appreciative of Brooklyn giving them the easy out on this situation what are the details behind this case that we do not know about and why is Brooklyn able to hire Udoka within 48 hours of firing Steve Nash which suggests that this was a very coordinated effort across a number of weeks as they were trying to put this thing together and what i'm witnessing when it comes to the udoka situation is we just don't know why it is that he is being allowed to walk away or why brooklyn is so interested in having him become the coach right now and i don't even want to say that this is a i don't want to say that this is a situation in which Ime Udoka is irredeemable. We just haven't seen any consequences as a result of this. We know he's not the coach of the Boston Celtics anymore, but that's just the thing that you do when you have a situation like this. There have not been atonement. There has not necessarily been consequences at this point. Why he would take the Brooklyn job other than his previous connections there is another interesting point to raise, but we just have no information about this situation, and I cannot believe That it happened the way that it did. That now within three days, you're going to have Udoka become the head coach of the Brooklyn Nets as everything falls to shit. Like, this seems absolutely insane. It seems absolutely insane that this is happening. And it only seems this way because I don't have any information about why is he not the coach of the Celtics anymore. Other than the the thing we talked about yesterday with Morgan, which is you're just leaning on consensual relationship to do so much work here. And again, I assume that NBA front offices have more information. If Matt Barnes was able to call a couple people and learn about the situation, if Bomani Jones, whose podcast I listened to, was able to call some people and learn information about Udoka, then I'm sure other people have information that will be disseminated at some point into the future and is, in, is influencing Brooklyn's decision to hire Udoka. Like Brooklyn's not making this hire with the thinking that at some point they're going to have to suspend Udoka or fire Udoka again. It's not a situation like that, but at the same time, this is wild that that turn of events could happen given that we're still waiting for the details of Udoka's last situation with Boston. We're still waiting for reported details about that and investigations to take place because the fact that he's on a year suspension suggests that they're doing that while they gather more information. Because if we don't have the access to information like as a general consuming public, it would stand to reason that a lot of the people in this case are either being pressured to not speak or it's taking a long time to get these accounts and have it be journalistically responsibly disseminated to people or an investigation to conclude. But any and all of those situations will help us get more information. And that's the problem I have here is that there's just no access to information. So this situation looks really, really bad for Brooklyn but i don't know why it looks really really bad for brooklyn cuz i don't have access to the information about why it was that he was suspended by the brooklyn net or sorry suspended by the boston celtics in the first place and why boston was just happy to have him go and they won't have to pay his buyout because Brooklyn's giving them, like, a backdoor. Like, this was the reporting that was done on Tuesday from ESPN and uh, and Shams. But the reporting is basically like, yeah, Boston doesn't want draft compensation. Boston didn't stop him from interviewing for the Brooklyn job or talking to Sean Marks and Joe Sy and Kevin Durant and Kyrie. Like, Boston was just happy to have him leave. Boston was just happy to have that off their hands. And what what does that say about the details of the situation what does that say about what's happening in in boston and the fact that i just don't have that information or don't know that information makes it incredibly difficult to talk about the brooklyn nets or why it is that he's now the head coach or about to be the head coach of the brooklyn nets possibly by the time you're listening to this it it seems absolutely insane only because there's no access to information. But that makes it incredibly difficult to actually analyze it. <laughs> if I don't have information, I know I'm just a dude on a podcast. Like, I don't have inside access to that information. I'm sure if I talk to someone that, who has the same level of access as Matt Barnes or Bomani Jones, or people who know information but aren't disseminating it at this point, like, if we know that information and if people who are relatively journalistically credible. I mean, Matt Barnes kind of walked back that whole statement about Udoka, but if those people have access to information, then it's not necessary. I think I'm just like two prongs removed from personally having access to the information. But when I say we don't have information, I think I'm more referencing the general consuming public is that there are a base set of facts and information that everyone can find easily accessible, but no investigation has been completed and no credible journalistic outlets have been able to put reporting behind it. Maybe that is coming, and maybe that's going to take time. I'm just amazed that Brooklyn would do that unless they're just not doing their due diligence at all, which leads to the amazing, amazing line, I say amazing in like a depressing way that Woj had in his... Uh, original story talking about this which was the nets this is all one sentence the nets have been vetting the circumstances around udoka's suspension and believe he can tighten up the league's 29th ranked defensive team and command leadership in a difficult locker room that's all one sentence that is one fucking sentence the nets have been vetting the circumstances around udoka's suspension. What they have concluded is that they believe he can tighten up the league's 29th ranked defense and command leadership in a difficult locker room. What? What does that mean? This all seems absolutely insane because I don't have access to information and we all don't have easy disseminable access to information. That, that, I think that sentence is a big part of why I think this sounds absolutely fucking insane is that the Nets have been vetting circumstances around Udoka's suspension. What have they found? They believe he can tighten up the league's 29th-ranked defense and command leadership in a difficult locker room. That seems like a ridiculous moral and ethical compromise. The problem is I don't know how much it is because I don't have access to the information about why Ime Udoka was not coaching the Boston Celtics this year. And so all of this, all of this seems absolutely stupid and insane and I just want more information so badly. I want to have information about that case specifically so freaking badly. Because otherwise, this all just seems absolutely batshit crazy. And maybe it is absolutely batshit crazy. I would like the information that confirms that it's batshit crazy. Because right now, I'm just guessing, based on optics, that this is batshit fucking crazy and i wish i had more information to help me dec- to help me actually know whether or not my eyes are deceiving me and now awkward transition let's play the miami dolphins fight song so that we can talk about the nfl trade deadline awkward transition awkward transition awkward transition <laughs> So let's talk a little bit about the NFL trade deadline. The Miami Dolphins, I guess, are the team that kind of did the most stuff at the trading deadline, and the thing that I kind of fell down a rabbit hole on towards, I guess it would be like, I went down a rabbit hole kind of right after the trade happened with Bradley Chubb, and then we kind of found out that the Miami Dolphins were sending... First round pick and Chase Edmonds and a pick swap that's not really important, but a first round pick and Chase Edmonds to the Broncos for Bradley Chubb, which, you know, I guess there was talk that they like outbid the Jets, but I was thinking like, man, it's really hard to kind of quantify the market for a player like Bradley Chubb because he's on his fifth year, he's had so many injuries, he's a pass rusher, but... I mean, it was just so hard to gauge what they were going to get for him, so I didn't even try to pretend like I could evaluate whether it's a good trade or not a good trade from the Dolphins. No matter what they ended up giving up, it was just... I Like, if they had traded a third-round pick for Bradley Chubb, I would have been like, huh, okay. And if they had given up, like, a first and a third for Bradley Chubb, I would have been like, huh, okay. Like, I just don't know how much Bradley Chubb is worth at this point. And so... As I'm watching this play out with the Miami Dolphins, what I'm ending up seeing is um, people talking about the first-round picks that the Miami Dolphins got for Trey Lance, and they were pointing out that, like, hey, they used one of those to trade up and get Jalen Waddell. They used one of those picks to get Tyreek Hill last year, along with, like, a second-round pick and some other stuff, but, like, they got Tyreek Hill with the first-round pick, and... They got Bradley Chubb for a first-round pick while also getting rid of Chase Edmonds. And that made me think of, I wonder if the Laramie Tunsil trade is finally complete. Because if you'll remember, the Houston Texans traded all of their draft picks to Laramie Tunsil for Tunsil. Bill O'Brien and Jack Easterby ran that organization into the ground, and part of it was trading all their draft picks for Laramie Tunsil, a draft pick that ended up turning into the number three pick in the NFL draft in 2020 the 40 the Texans finished four and 12 in 2020 during the pandemic year they got the three pick in the draft and that pick went right to Miami and what did Miami do with it they gave it to San Francisco for three first round picks so basically Laramie Tunsil turned into five first round picks they gave up five first round picks for Laramie Tunsil one pick that was basically like um 35 in the draft and they ended up trading up to 30 to get Noah I can't pronounce his last name and they ended up trading a first-round pick that ended up becoming three first-round picks from the 49ers for Trey Lance, and they had uh, an extra first-round pick that ended up becoming, uh, I believe, I, I think it was Noah, I can't pronounce his last name, and then they had a high pick that ended up becoming Javon Holland, that's who it was. They had a high second-round pick that ended up becoming Javon Holland, who's basically a first-round player at second-round prices, and Javon Holland's turned into a pro bowler within two years of being on the Dolphins. So basically, they got five first-round picks for Laramie Tunsell. and now all of those picks have been used. And Remember, I talked about how the 49ers basically spent all their money on crypto for tra- for Trey Lance, and they gave up three first-round picks for a player who only has value because other people say he has value. They gave up three first-round picks for crypto. Trey Lance is crypto. It's a it's a Lance coin. Crypto, Trey Lance. And basically, all of those have now turned into Bradley Chubb, Tyreek Hill, and partially Jalen Waddle. I mean, they had to get the Texans pick down and then trade back up. But basically, that's the entire premise of that trade was... The Miami Dolphins got all the crypto money. And here's the final details of that trade in the Laramie Tunsil deal combined with the Trey Lance trade, which is now that the deal is all said and done. So all of the draft picks have been used. All the Laramie Tunsil draft picks have been traded and traded again and used and not used. And the Dolphins drafted a bunch of busts like Austin Jackson and Noah. I can't pronounce his last name, although he's not terrible. The complete trade looks like this. The Miami Dolphins got Tariq Hill, Jalen Waddell, Bradley Chubb, Javon Holland, all of whom are pro bowlers. I mean, Jalen Waddle hasn't made a pro bowl yet, but Jalen Waddell's a pro bowl caliber receiver. Tariq Hill, Jalen Waddle, Bradley Chubb, Javon Holland... Noah, I can't pronounce his last name, which I've been calling him that. It starts with an I. I can't pronounce his last name for years. I could do it, but I think it's funnier. If he's Noah, I can't pronounce his last name. It was a first-round pick slot corner. They got two linebackers drafted in the third round. So they had a third-round pick in 2020 from the Texans, and they had a third-round pick in 2022. I believe that came from, like, multiple trades with the 49ers and such. But basically, third-round pick, picked a linebacker then, Picked a linebacker two years before. One of the linebackers whose name I can't remember, he's uh, made 15 starts for the Miami Dolphins. They got two linebackers and a rookie wide receiver who uh, his name is Eli. His first name's Eli. But basically, the Miami Dolphins got four Pro Bowl caliber players, a starting slot corner, a starting linebacker, a rookie linebacker who could become a starter in the future, and a rookie wide receiver who may or may not make the team in the future, but it's still a fourth-round pick wide receiver. And the Houston Texans got Laramie Tunsil. That's it. The Miami Dolphins turned Laramie Tunsil, who they only got because of Laramie Tunsil smoking a gas mask and the vid- someone leaking the video on his Twitter and him falling from the number one or number two pick down to 13 because we were te- petrified of a player smoking a gas mask. The Miami Dolphins flipped Laramie Tunsil into Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle, Bradley Chubb, Javon Holland, Noah, I can't pronounce his last name, two linebackers who were picked in the third round, and a rookie wide receiver. The Houston Texans got just Tunsell, and gave Tunsil an extension, record-setting extension, and since Laramie Tunsil's extension went into effect, the Houston Texans have a 9, 30, and 1 record. And by the time Laramie Tunsell's contract extension is completed, the Houston Texans will still be rebuilding because the Houston Texans are in the middle of a five-year rebuild. It's a five-full-year rebuild because of how poorly Jack Easterby and Bill O'Brien ran that organization into the ground And Cal McNair, you're the owner whose first job was playing video games on the floor of your dad's office. You aren't immune either. Cal McNair, who's good friends with uh, Mitch McConnell, which I think makes you racist by association. Cal McNair, Jack Easterby, Bill O'Brien, ran that organization into the ground. And a huge part of that, the Laramie Tunsil trade. Because now that we have all the details complete, it's a historic fucking stinker Tariq Hill, Jalen Waddle Bradley Chubb Javon Holland Noah Imbigiani I think his name is a third round linebacker who now starts for the team a third round linebacker who's a backup and a rookie wide receiver it's so bad it's so bad and again if the Miami Dolphins win a playoff game this year because basically this is how I would think of the AFC Buffalo, Kansas City, Baltimore are going to make the divisional playoff. They're the three best teams, well, three of the four best teams in football. Buffalo, Kansas City, and Baltimore are going to make it to the divisional playoff. Who's the fourth team in the AFC? Could be the Titans, could be the Bengals, could be the Dolphins, could be the Chargers. If the Dolphins win a playoff game this year and get the right to go get smacked by Kansas City in the divisional round— If Miami wins a playoff game this year, like the Cleveland Browns did in 2020, where they pull off in a miracle upset and win the right to go get smacked by Kansas City. It will have been 22 years since the Dolphins' last playoff game. The Dolphins have hired Jimmy Johnson, Bill Parcells, and Don Shula. I'm sorry, Bill Parcells and Nick Saban. And none of those guys, I guess Jimmy Johnson could, but Bill Parcells and Nick Saban could not break the 22-year playoff drought. You know who could? Wasn't possible until Laramie Tunsil smoked a gas mask. Wasn't possible. Took six years after the fact. Took six years after smoking the gas mask. But until Laramie Tunsil smoked a gas mask, the Miami Dolphins... We're not able to build a champion team. And by champion, I mean a team that could win a single playoff game. Because the Miami Dolphins are absolutely inept as an organization. With an inept owner and an inept front office. They do stupid shit all the time. Have racial discrimination lawsuits filed against them that prevent them from getting Sean Payton and Tom Brady. Bully-yate. Getting your, your draft picks taken away for tampering. Miami Dolphins just have absolute fucking bullshit across 22 years of football and only Larry Tunsil smoking a gas mask made it possible for the Miami Dolphins to build what they have now because that Tunsil trade might be the worst trade in NFL history like genuinely I know the Dallas Cowboys take the cake with that because they turned it into what became a champion team but like For bonus, like the equivalent of what happened with the Dallas Cowboys, where Dallas ended up riding the Herschel Walker trade to becoming a uh, helping become a Super Bowl champion. I think the equivalent of that is like Minnesota was fine after the Herschel Walker trade. Like they lost all those picks, but they were fine. They rebuilt. They were never a terrible team. They end up getting Randy Moss and Dante Culpepper, and or I'm sorry, uh, Randall Cunningham, and ended up making it to the NFC Championship with one of the most dominant offenses of all time. Like they were fine after losing all those draft picks in the Herschel Walker trade. I think the 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 argument the Dolphins have for being, or the the Laramie Tunsil trade has for being the worst trade of the last twenty five years is. Look at how it decimated the Houston Texans. We celebrate every year on January 12th. Yeah, January 12th every year is a celebration of the fact that the Houston Texans were up 24-0 on the Kansas City Chiefs. The Houston Texans are the the best chance I've seen any team have of beating the Kansas City Chiefs in the playoffs. And by the way, the Chiefs have lost in the playoffs to New England, to Cincinnati, and to Tampa. Houston was the best chance of beating uh, the best team to beat the the Kansas City Chiefs that I have seen in Patrick Mahomes' entire career. They were up twenty four zero on Kansas City. They lost, I believe, fifty two to thirty something, and it was just absolutely atrocious. And what's amazing about this is you're looking at the Houston Texans since then going 9-31-1. and 1. And the Houston Texans have traded away all of their draft picks, led to the Dolphins' best run of success in 20 years. They gave the sexual predator to Cleveland, and Cleveland might have their best run of success in 20 years. And the the they gave DeAndre Hopkins and J.J. Watt for free to the Arizona Cardinals, and the Arizona Cardinals have had one of their best runs of success in the last 15 years. I know they, they made the playoffs twice in... two. Th- I, I, this, it's not as good as the Carson Palmer years, but that's because Arizona's kind of messed up along the way. But they gave away DeAndre Hopkins and J.J. Watt for free. All it cost was a second-round pick and David Johnson for both of those players. And the the, he, the Miami Dolphins are the team that got all their draft picks and they might win a playoff game and even if they don't win a playoff game it's still the most success the Dolphins have had in the last 20 years all because Laramie Tunsil smoked a gas mask and they took advantage of the Houston Texans one of the worst run organizations in all of professional sports the Bears still suck the Bears still suck bear's still suck, the bear's still suck, the bear's still suck, they really, really All right, I'm sure we'll do a sports radio Wednesday with Juju at some point here in the future about the NFL trade deadline. But let's talk about some of the other stuff that happened at the trading deadline because it was a, it was kind of interesting. So 49ers, I said this coming out of um, the trade with um, Christian McCaffrey. 49ers trading Jeff Wilson made the most sense because otherwise his value was never going to be higher than it was right then. So trading Jeff Wilson or Elijah Mitchell made a whole lot of sense because you could hang on to them and have a solid backup. And I know this is the Jimmy Garoppolo situation all over again, but that value is never going to be higher for either of those players whether it's Jeff Wilson or Elijah Mitchell so trading them made sense they ended up trading Jeff Wilson to the Dolphins got back a little bit of that trade value to replenish their system a little bit Uh, I thought it made sense for them to move off of those guys and so they end up trading Jeff Wilson to the Dolphins Dolphins get Jeff Wilson to replace Chase Edmonds it's a weird symbiotic relationship that ends up working in favor of everyone involved to replenish their draft value a little bit um i mentioned you, you heard the bears song in there bears were the weird buyer seller team this year It happens every year where there's a buyer seller the bears basically traded roquan smith for chase claypool in a fifth round pick which i don't even know if that's bad or not i mean roquan smith was under qu- contract for one more year and maybe they were going to franchise tag him after that but Chase Claypool I feel like went undervalued when you compare it to the Hollywood Brown trade which maybe isn't the best case to do maybe we should get two or three wide receiver trades of similar caliber into this conversation but there really aren't that many like you could point to Amari Cooper getting traded for a fifth round pick you could point to uh, Robert Woods getting traded for a sixth round pick but the reason those guys went for such little value is because of their gigantic contracts And I guess you could point to uh, A.J. Brown getting traded to the Eagles and getting a a first and a fourth in exchange for him. The reason that the Claypool trade is a benefit to Chicago is because not only are they getting Claypool, they're getting Claypool on a rookie contract for two more seasons. And it's this season and next season before they have to extend him. But getting Claypool on that contract seems like a great job for the Chicago Bears. I didn't think Pittsburgh would trade him for a high second-round pick which, you know, good on them for making the move. I thought they would have gone for the multiple picks thing. But getting a high second-round pick, I guess, is fine value for Claypool. It's just I feel like Claypool is a better receiver than Hollywood Brown, and Hollywood Brown went for the equivalent of a low first-round pick. So maybe it's a bit of semantics in that conversation. I just feel like the Pittsburgh Steelers might have sold themselves short a bit, and Chicago ended up doing the trade Roquan Smith but acquire Chase Claypool thing, and... Time will tell if it works out. Again, Chicago might be one of these franchises where it's damned if you do, damned if you don't, but at least they're trying to support uh, Justin Fields a little bit better and getting Chase Claypool, that's a fringe wide receiver one type of guy, whereas I think Hollywood Brown's definitively a number two. That's a fringe number one guy in Chase Claypool. That could work out pretty well for Chicago. I think getting a second, uh, giving up a high second-round pick for Claypool is great value, especially given that you have a rookie contract wide receiver for this year and next year, and then perhaps you extend Claypool and make him a focal point of your offense in the future. I think it's a great job that Chicago did there in getting Claypool. Don't know how the Roquan Smith trade is going to work out, but I thought it was a a great job Chicago to buy and sell. Whether it works out, again, might be a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation, but If you take that one trade specifically, I think that Chicago did an okay job for themselves only within the context of the Claypool trade itself. Now, the broader vision for Chicago as a franchise, not necessarily a good job. But if you take that one trade within context, turned out all right for them. Uh, What else happened today? Oh, the Bills got a new running back. Yay, yay, finally, finally Buffalo got a new running back. They traded Zach Moss. They got Naheem Hines. And it, they're just flipping past catching running backs at this point, which again, I'm always baffled why Buffalo has a terrible running game. So at least it's something new. It's something different. Maybe it'll be better. Who knows? Maybe it'll be exactly the same. But the good news for Buffalo is that once the playoffs roll around, Josh Allen is allowed to be your number one running back. But I'm just glad they did something different and traded Zach Moss so that the running back room looks at least a little bit different for the Buffalo Bills. Oh, the Lions, that was funny. TJ Hawkinson got traded to the Vikings. Um, We found out Irv Smith Jr. got hurt, so they just pulled a Robbie Anderson move, and they're like, who can we get to play tight end? Let's go get TJ Hawkinson and give up some picks for him. And I think they, I forgot what they ended up swapping. It was, um, let's see, it was, I think, a third and a fourth round pick in the swap. The Lions didn't really get that much for Hawkinson I guess but I don't know it, it was a it was a third round and a fourth rounder and I think a, an extra fifth rounder it was like a third and a fifth for Hawkinson and a fourth or something like that so they basically got Hawkinson for a third round pick plus which that's fine whatever Detroit trading TJ Hawkinson doesn't matter man Campbell's not gonna be the coach after this it's fine just making moves to make moves at this point Vikings, I thought it was funny that they just lost their tight end. They're like, ah, bleep it. Let's just go get Hawkinson. And he might actually be better than the tight end that we already had. Just just like Robbie. I mean, Robbie Anderson's probably not better than Hollywood Brown. But like, hey, we lose Hollywood Brown. Let's just get Robbie Anderson. Pew, pew, pew. Let's fill that alt role. I thought that was funny. Um, I have Hawkinson on my fantasy team, too. So flex there. And then the Falcons traded Calvin Ridley. That was the last big move of the day, which... They had so many protections on that trade. I should go figure out what the the value was on that trade again because they had so many protections on that trade. Um, let me just read. I, I found it real quick here. Let me just read out the trade that we have here between the Falcons and Calvin Ridley because it is the like the Falcons thought of everything here. So here's the conditions: if Calvin Ridley gets re- reinstated by a date specific date, it's worth a fifth round pick. Otherwise, it's worth a sixth. If he gets reinstated and makes the team in 2024, it's a fourth round pick. If he hits playing time milestones and makes the team in 2024, it's a third round pick. And if Jacksonville gets a long-term deal done with Calvin Ridley, it's a second round pick. This is an incredibly, incredibly, incredibly complex trade. Could be a 2023 2023 fifth rounder, depending on whether he gets reinstated. If he makes the team in 2024, it could be a fourth rounder in 2024. And then if he hits the playtime milestones, it could be a third. If they sign him to a long-term contract, it's a 2024 second. They just thought of everything before trading Calvin Ridley. They really, really, really wanted that one pick, and they made sure to protect that pick as much as they possibly could. So, that was kind of funny. Anyways, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping in here to the Take It Easy podcast. We've got episodes every single day, Monday through Friday, as well as Wired Up on Sundays. Make sure to leave a five-star review wherever it is that you may be listening. And as always, take it easy. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.